Are you tired of the same old business advice? Welcome to the Liberated CEO Experience, the podcast that's redefining entrepreneurial success one unscripted and candid conversation at a time. Get ready to soak up unfiltered stories of triumph, failure, and everything in between from trailblazers who are rewriting the rules of the game and building thriving businesses on their own terms. So if you're ready to level up your impact, income, and joy, all while staying true to your unique vision, you're in the right place. This is the Liberated CEO Experience. Welcome back, dynamic entrepreneurs and freedom lovers. You're tuned into another amazing episode of the Liberated CEO Experience. I'm your host, Ty Goodwin. And today we're diving into a topic that's crucial for entrepreneurial freedom. Create more freedom by building your dream team. I am thrilled to have Rahul Alim as my special guest today. Rahul is the man behind the marketing agency, Custom Creatives. His agency has worked with Realtor.com, Geico, Advertise.com, Reach Local, and hundreds of other local businesses. With 18 years of experience running his agency, he now coaches agency owners to grow six-figure businesses with his proven get-shit-done sales method. His mission is to help entrepreneurs get out of their own way by moving from an unsustainable do-it-all mentality to building a rock star team that gives them the ability to create an assembly line in their business so they can create growth and freedom. So if you're ready to supercharge your team building game and unlock new levels of entrepreneurial freedom, then you do not want to miss this inspiring unfiltered conversation. Get comfortable, grab a pen, and let's explore the world of team building with the incredible Rahul on the Liberated CEO Experience. I am super excited to have this conversation. I'm always excited when I get to have a conversation with brilliant people. And fortunately, I have some brilliant people in my network. So Rahul, welcome to the show. Ty, thank you for having me. This is going to be such a pleasure. Yeah, listen. So first of all, let me tell you a little bit about Rahul that I didn't say in a bio. So first of all, you need to know he is a master at sales conversations. If I could bottle up what he's able to do, how he's able to listen to people and how he's able to respond in a way that's full of integrity, but also really direct and really going to help people get out of their own way. If I could bottle that up and sell it, I would be like a millionaire, first of all. And the company that he's built, the organization that he's built, they've done a masterful job of building a culture and a team, which to me is one of the things that you absolutely have to have in place if you're going to be a liberated CEO, not somebody who's built a job, but somebody who's actually built a business that supports their lifestyle. Rahul, I'm curious about where you started and how you got to where you are now. Yeah, I was an employee. I just worked at another company and right out the gates, I got into my very first job was in sales and I never sold anything. In fact, I really didn't talk very much. So I was more shy, reserved, where if somebody knew me in high school and then knew me today, they wouldn't know that I'm the same person. Because back then was a little bit of a mute, reserved, shy. And then once I got into my career, I just sprung upon sales. And it was a blessing in disguise because I hated it at first. Then I started to like it. Then I hated it more. Then I liked it. Then I hated it. So it was like love, hate the whole way until I actually put like a line in the sand and determined to say, you're either going to be good or you're going to be bad, but there is no middle. So that's when I went all in because I started thinking like, I don't want to go back to college. I definitely don't want to be in a boring position the rest of my fucking life and be stuck 
stuck with what I perceive to be a glass ceiling where I see people working at the post office for 50 years, like some of my friend's parents did. So I just figured sales is uncapped, sales is potential, but it's also sink or swim. Your back is always against the wall because my mindset kind of goes back to what have you done for me lately? Because when I worked in corporate, it was like, you're getting celebrated for having an amazing month. And then the first of the month comes around and it's like, you're just like everybody else and you're starting over. You're proving yourself as if the last month didn't exist. Then every month it becomes the same. So I just got used to like consistency has to be really good. So my background is in sales and thank God I started selling to like real estate agents. I also sold some credit card processing, but real estate was probably one of the most interesting industries in the world just because realtors have like high tech stuff available to them. I think it's really technology advanced in that industry, but the real estate agent is not tech friendly at all. So it was tough. It focused, made us to like talk to puppy dogs, if you will. Like I treat people like they're like a little dog, like a golden retriever and say, sit boy, sit, sit girl, sit. Here's how this system works. So I got good at articulating and explaining complex technology to like less sophisticated people to make them understand and embrace it. And then I got good at sales and then ultimately just jumped and started my own business and took that same model, just stay super, super focused, really hard at first. Luckily, Facebook and, and Twitter and all these things weren't like blown up in your face every single day. People think you need to live on the internet. Like you're gonna miss out as if you, you close your app. Back then we didn't have that kind of tenacity on social media. So it was like really customer focused. Like where do we get customers from? Do we get it from Facebook? Do we get it from LinkedIn? Do we get it from these social platforms? Or can we just pick up the phone? Because if our goal is a phone call, Google has phone numbers because you can just Google X industry in X city. And all of a sudden Yelp or Yellow Pages or a directory or a trade magazine website comes up and you have a free list of the people that you're trying to DM, but you have their phone number, but you're DMing to get their phone number, to call them, to get approval. Why not just call them, right? So my brain thinks, what's the fastest path to get what you want? If your goal is to get a phone number and you already have the phone number, why are we DMing? You know, people know that we specialize in funnels and quiz funnels and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. People that I've turned down because my first step is have you leveraged a network that you already have? Like you've got mm -hmm. a Facebook group of people you haven't talked to. You've got LinkedIn connections that you've never reached out to. And a funnel takes some time to build and then you've got to drive traffic to it. So that lowest mm -hmm. hanging fruit is often people that have immediate access to, but most people don't think about that. They don't. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's somebody's teaching that stuff or the complexities of the internet. But the reality is it's like, we just want simple conversations because if people have a problem, if we just go as simple as a doctor, right? They have it the best, right? Then because if you're injured, you just go to the hospital. It's just like the government provides insurance for some people and the rest of us, we have to pay like crazy in America. But anyways, that's besides the point. But the doctor analogy is the best. You got a pain, you should go to the doctor. You broke your arm, should go to the doctor. Now you broke your business. Why don't we have go to the doctor, right? If you broke your business, it's let me guess for five fucking years what somebody else can solve in two months. But we have that ego that says, I don't want to spend that money. I'd rather spend 30 times more and also five years more and then never still figure it out fully because I'm just doing something I'm not good at, but I'm going to figure it out because Mark Cuban tried to figure out everything himself. And that was just <laughs> a story, right? So, I mean, the easiest thing in business that I didn't take the advice at first, but I took it at advice shortly after was use as much leverage as possible because if somebody's good at something, let them do that something. And if you're not good at it, don't try to be good at that because you're distracted on what you're good at. So if you're good at getting relationships, getting customers, 
Now, guess what? If you want to be the tech head or you want to be some other position in your own company, guess what you're going to do? You're either going to suck at everything because you're now focused on stupid shit, or you're going to never, ever sleep again because your ego is telling you could be good at something else. But then the future you doesn't want to be good at that thing. Think of like, do I want to be good at getting clients or do I want to be good at building a funnel? If you want to be good at getting clients, then let somebody else build a funnel. If you want to get good at building funnels, then get somebody that needs to get the clients for you. So you got to divide and conquer in business. Like the earlier people understand that, the earlier this statement will actually make sense because some people will probably be thinking like, oh, I can just do this both on my own. It's manageable right now. It's not. The future is telling you it's absolutely not because I've never seen anybody do it all successful. Yeah. And I think that's where a lot of us get stuck. You know, I always tell myself like, I was stuck there, right? Because I mm -hmm. love the tech side. Like I love yeah. building funnels. I love doing that. And I had to get to a point where I said, okay, do I want to build funnels or do I want to run a business? And I think the scary thing about that for a lot of people is we know how to do the hands-on stuff, but we don't know how to run a business. And so we're going to gravitate towards what we know because that feels easier. But at the end of the day, if you're not willing to make that decision and let go of some things, you're going to end up creating what I call a dead-end business, just like you had a dead-end job in corporate, right? Yeah, and that's what leads to this burnout, right? It is stressful. Everybody's felt burnout. Some people know how to cope with it. Some people know how to break with it. Like you have to do some sort of root cause analysis. What's causing you panic? What's causing you anxiety? What's causing you to hate what you love that you loved a year ago, but you hate today? What caused that? Because changing it isn't going to be the solution. I'll say that right now, because you could hate whatever else you do in the future. I see too many people be these amazing coaches, then they burn out, then they're six months off. Let me tell you what I was up to. I went to Africa and painted shit on my face. But that stuff like will liberate you temporarily. It's a band-aid. Like when you're not caught, that's a symptom. You're not going after the actual problem. The reality is you're doing too much. You're unclear of what you want to do. You have to really do some like an hour of work. To me, it's simple. To other people, it may be more complex, but I just really write down what's causing this. What can I do to solve it? Who can do it besides me? Or does nobody do it and we just forget it never existed? So mm -hmm. it's a task that people should never do in any company is like, if nobody gives a shit if a task gets done and it's a year from now, let's just never do that task ever again. So you're just going to get reprioritized. Even with my team, it's like they're tagging people in groups. They're sending messages and emails. They have all this stuff. And they're like, oh my God, I need a time block. I'm like, no, you're causing something so simple to be so complex. Let's just put everything in one section. And then during that one hour, do those three tasks. You don't have to have three different tasks because mentally some people's brains are thinking like, I have three things to do in one hour. So it's logical to do 20, 20, 20. It's like, no, just put the whole hour, get these three things done. It'll probably take you 20 minutes if you just do one task, then move on. Do one task, move on. Because it's that paralysis by analysis. Because when you're thinking more about doing than actually doing, then you're stuck in a thought process. We need to get unstuck and just do the imperfect action because there's a spoiler, not like a movie, but a real spoiler. There's no such thing as perfect. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And I used to do that in corporate. You know, I would spend like, more time thinking about how I could do something faster or the easiest way to do it is actually doing it and mm -hmm. creating that bottleneck for myself. And I see that sometimes in business where we're like, let me do all these things instead of just doing the simplest thing that goes back to like you were just talking about. You could build like this elaborate system or you would just pick up the phone and call somebody and get a sale. Maybe yeah. And it's different levels, different devils. Like the bigger you get, the more strategic your role will probably play because there's a way, big, huge difference between corporate and entrepreneurship. In corporate, we're backed and funded by somebody else's bank account. We yeah. can have expensive mistakes depending on the company. And it doesn't 
really matter. It goes under the rug. We have this sophisticated method in corporate to create just regular old meetings, right? A marketing meeting take five meetings to create the meeting, right? So there's all times of like waste, but that's just the way the companies are built. Once you get into entrepreneurship, it's more about speed and like you you want to fail as quickly as possible, as many times as possible, as inexpensively as possible. So you live to fight another day. And that's really like the starting point of entrepreneurship. And then once you get like consistent, you'll feel like you have a glass ceiling. Let's say you're getting to 50 grand or hundred grand and starting to stay really consistent. That's when you're going to need the team, the culture, because you've outgrown your growth. Like you can't do it anymore. You have to be mentally aware of saying, I don't have an ego that I can't, if I get a company to hundred grand a month and I can't get it to pass that, that means like somebody else is better than you. You're either doing too much or somebody else is better than you. And that's where you have to have that self-recognition because then once you have that self-recognition, then you're going to also relieve a lot of pressure. Like you can use your money to pay other people to free up your time. So they do the work for you. And I just had this rediscussion again yesterday with my team and repeated it again today. So they're going to hear this theme that I no longer have end customers. I no longer have GSD students. I no longer have marketing clients. My customers are you guys. Wow. So you're building your own teams underneath you. You need help. You ask me a question. What should I do in this instance? Here's the answer. But now it's just a matter of build your own teams underneath you. You have a setter team, go recruit a bunch of setters, go recruit them, train them, prove your model. So I'm like getting them to learn like how to fail on their own. It'll be some expensive mistakes, some cheap mistakes. But at the end of the day, it's the only way I can outgrow and become that business unit owner where I can do multiple businesses at once and have none of them fail. When I say none of them fail, I'm not trying to sound all fancy. Elon Musk is fancy. He has all kinds of life-changing stuff. I'm talking about like just managing a real estate portfolio, running an agency, having a coaching business and having the ability to partner with other companies without taking my time up. So you can expand your wealth and still have your pulse on your team. That's a huge shift though. And I love the way you phrase that because we don't always think that way. And I think a lot of it comes from corporate where in a corporate environment, like I was in a training department, mm -hmm. all that kind of fun stuff. And in a lot of the roles that people get to, you're wearing all the hats. So we're used to doing all the things and we carry that over into our businesses thinking that we have to do all the things. And I find a lot of people don't want to learn how to grow. They're either, I don't know if it's they don't, that they don't want to learn how to grow. I think there's a fear of trusting other people with their right. business and relying on other people. So one of the things that I noticed that you guys do a great job of is, and I learned this from you all, is to hire slow and fire fast. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what advice do you have for people or tips do you have for people who are hesitant about hiring? Like they get to that $100,000 point, they know they're going to need to bring on people, but I don't want to be a manager. I don't want to do this. What advice do you have for them so that they are pulling in the right people? First, you have to work on yourself. If you're resistant to hire and release control, you're going to have to work on that first. So give yourself like a micro commitment. Get rid of something that if somebody does you wrong, because that's probably what's in somebody's head by not releasing control is that I can do it best. I don't trust people with this password, et cetera. Find a role that you can actually release yourself from that protects you against whatever's in your mind. You're going to have to get over that anyways in the long run. So somebody's going to have the keys to your castle and you're going to have to trust in them. You can control everything like your bank accounts, your finances, so you don't go fully blind where if you want to pay the invoices, pay the bills, pay the salary, you have full control over budget approvals. That's probably the easiest key to the castle you can keep where it has the most importance on your business. But I would find one role that you can offload and chances are it's going to be an administrative assistant that can control your life that you can probably, if you go overseas, you can get somebody relatively inexpensive comparative to America 
or if you want to get somebody local where they sit to your left, to your right, or in your office, just pay them enough to live that makes them satisfied to be good enough for what you want. At, at my point where I am right now, I don't want to, for a role, for me to get out of, I have to pay what role is worth so I don't have to be their teacher. So if I have to teach them a role, I know what I'm getting into, then they have to read my mind that if they don't have experience, they're going to have to learn softwares. I'm going to have to learn that they don't have access to what I want them to do. And then the bottleneck becomes me and I'm going to think, holy fuck, why doesn't this person just fucking get it? Why can't they just search Google Drive for a keyword they don't know to search for? So you can get caught up in that, but that's also your fault. So I guess when you're trying to find the right person, find the right problem you're trying to solve for yourself, get the top three bullets of what that role must do, allocate a time to what you think it should take per day, per week, per month, and then hire somebody for that role. It could be part-time, it could be full-time, but the role can expand. Because you're the entrepreneur. Don't treat people like they know your business and don't treat people like they're going to love the business like you do because they fucking don't. Mm -hmm. They're going to go to bed at night. They're going to go do whatever the fuck they want. They're not you. It's not their business. They don't have equity. They don't have that extra skin in the game. So just remember that because I didn't know that at first. I'm like, my whole thing was like, dude, I'm working 24 seven. You're going home at poor old eight o'clock. Why are you such a lazy shit? That was my mentality. I didn't actually say that out loud, but I was like, man, I have more on the line. And I was thinking you're guaranteed to get paid. I'm the only one that's not. So I'm taking the highest degree of risk and I'm just dealing with whatever shit rolls downhill in the bank account goes to me. But then unfortunately, what goes to me goes back in the business. So technically, I'm a fucking intern of my own company and you guys are all getting paid. So you can get into that math trap, but that's the wrong way. What put me at peace with that was just like, number one is charging enough to have a profit where there was enough to pay everybody comfortably and also grow in case an emergency happened, like a laptop breakdown, or if I had to, whatever, because you're an entrepreneur, you're, you start off thinking your business is your bank account. So if you had a car breakdown or whatever hospital emergency, you have money to go pay for it. So you don't have to finance it. So that's how I started the business is just thinking along the lines of math. And it could just be basic ninja math. It could be like, all right, I generally know you obviously want to get good at this. This is really bad advice, but as long as you have a general assessment of I have 30 grand going out, let's just say, and I have a hundred grand coming in, I have net 70. That's just ninja math. It could be a variance five or 10% one way or the other. Just make sure you know that there's taxes going to be there. That's really it. And then you can do it the next month. Then you have month two, you have $60,000 out from one month and month, month and two, you have 200 grand in, you have 140, half assume 50%, no matter what state you're in, it goes to taxes. So half of that is allocated to taxes. Then towards the end of the year, the fourth quarter or whatever your account recommends, depending on how you do your accounting, then you start investing into stuff that could reduce your tax liabilities. You can invest in the people, you can prepay rent, you can buy new equipment, you can lease a 2000 pound car, you can start set up a pension, offer insurance to people. So you can basically save money by spending it, which is really hard to wrap around your brain. Because I'm thinking like, how the fuck is me spending 10 grand giving it to these employees going to save me more than 10 grand? It's about me. But then I'm like, if I can take care of these guys, these employees, get them a 401k, get them a pension plan, pay for their insurance, and I still make more money, and they become more sticky, and they're more loyal, and they're willing to work harder. And this is their bonus. Like this is just all round win. So like just wrapping my head around that was just so hard. It probably took 10 whiteboard sessions with an account <laughs> to think like, how does this math work? But then I was just thinking, if you're going to build a business for yourself, expect to be alone by yourself because they're all going to fucking leave. 
Yeah. And you know what? That's a huge like mindset shift because a lot of us don't think that way. We think as an employee and I'm a little bit different because I was in the HR side. And so I got to see the numbers. I got to see like how much it costs for turnover and those kind of things. But if you're not in that role and don't see it, you just automatically think that the money that you make doesn't come with any other strings attached. And you don't realize that full-time salary comes with unemployment insurance, all those other pieces that get added onto it. Plus there's a whole marketing team that somebody's paying for. There's a whole tech team that somebody's paying for. And so when people think that they're going to start their businesses, I'm just going to do everything. And I'm like, yeah, it doesn't make sense. It just doesn't really add up. You mentioned something earlier that I want to go back to when you were talking about how you started to see your team as your customers. And it reminded me about how I see people grow. Like I think people start off as freelancers and call themselves entrepreneurs, right? But then people actually do move into quote unquote entrepreneurship where they actually have a team and they bring people on. But then there's this other level where I think you are where it's becoming a leader within your organization. And a lot of people don't get to that place. But the fact that you are recognizing that you're now empowering other people to help build your organization with that mindset shift, I thought that was really powerful. How did you get to that shift for yourself? Because I just don't want to do everything on my own. I don't want to have to deal with going to bed, doing the work and paying somebody to do similar work because here's a key indicator. I get messages, hey, we need to do this by tomorrow. My question is, who's the we you're referring to? <laughs> because that's so easy to like basically have that lack of leadership and that lack of communication skill and delegate it. Because I would do that all the time. Hey, let's go over this so we can send it to this person. Mm-hmm. Instead of just saying, hey, let me know if you need help sending this person the deadlines tonight. If you need help, let me know. If you do need help, then just tell me what the solution is and I can either validate it and bless it, or I can give you some advice on how to modify it. So it's just getting those little pieces. And we're giving people that control into the sense of beg for forgiveness instead of asking for permission up front. But obviously don't do something blatantly stupid and boneheaded. That's not our intention. It takes self-awareness that's saying, hey, Cody or Rahul said, do this without asking for permission. And then it creates a huge problem. Be self-aware. Don't be stupid. You're allowed to ask for permission. But it's almost like the team, like in the team morning meetings, like I just show up to listen in to see what they even talk about and make sure that they see my presence, not because I'm important or anything. It's just that I want to keep a pulse on everything. But they're just helping one another. Like the sales guys helping the sales guys, the setters helping the setters and just providing ideas. And some of the stuff that they have is more valuable than what I have. All I can do is see the future of the mistakes they're not seeing before they happen. And then I can just pivot them really quickly because of the coaching business. I've seen so many people fall on their face. So many people make big mistakes and go through ups and downs that you can see things materialize a little bit in slow motion, because that's like the point of a coach is to be able to see above at a higher perspective to be able to bring it down so other people can get that result much faster. So I use that same coaching methodology from what I teach agencies and the other coaches back into my own team. And it's an everyday thing. Like coaching is every day. Like we coach every day and obviously in the group and then we coach our team whenever they need us. And that may be a call for five or seven minutes, or it could just be a Zoom numbers meeting that goes into a marketing meeting. So everything we're doing, we're trying to make everybody more decisive on their decisions, more confident in them as a person, but more indoctrinated into the culture of the business. Like when I heard somebody yesterday, that's not like OG on our team, probably like, I don't know, six months in, which is very freaking new, but 
well, I'd empowered him to train setters. And I said, go recruit four people, train them. Let's see if your methodology is going to get people through our system much faster to hire setters for us. I'm like, mm-hmm. build an army of five or 10 fucking people. And if they make it through, they'll get paid a small base and commission only on every sale that comes from their result. So we can afford to hire 10 people with this new structure. And it was just, I just made me smile. It was like my team. And I'm like, fuck, I love the fact that you said my team. Cause if you said our team, that means you wrote me in to help you be part of it. But he's now already taking ownership. He's like, this is my team. This is how I want to do it. This is the process. So I'm like, dude, pitch me, pitch me, man. I love the fact that you're taking the ownership, finding those micro improvements. Then my job is to make sure that they don't overthink things because everybody's looking for perfect. We're looking for imperfect to fix, to find a better result as we go. So sometimes we're building, if something's new to us, we'll build a plane while it's flying. If something is something not new to us where we can project mistakes, then we're going to obviously avoid those pitfalls along the way. Wow, that's pretty cool. I love the fact that he felt empowered enough to say that it was his and take that ownership. As I'm growing out our team and working on that, sometimes that seems like so far in the future when we're going to have folks that have that same mentality. And a lot of people have been struggling. I've talked to a number of coaches, consultants, agency people, and hiring people is like a really big issue right now. It seems like work ethics have changed since the pandemic, or I hear that a lot from people, and I'm not buying into that totally. But how do you choose the right people? How do you become better at choosing the right people to add to your team? Just making mistakes, honestly, because you're going to make mistakes along the way. You just have to embrace it. And then that's when you just get rid of people. So it's almost like a carrot and a stick approach. It's like our intention is to have somebody long-term. If we make a mistake, we'll have a motivational carrot. If you get to this goal and this result in this time, then you're going to be on our team long run and earn your salary. So we have like an onboarding process that requires them to do the thing they say they can do versus trust in their words and trust in their resume. Now, if somebody came from like a company that we know and respect and they were like the VP of training, we may skip that kind of like, prove it methodology of our interview process and just say, you're the right guy. What do we need to do to recruit you? Is it going to be money? Is it going to be time? Is it going to be what? And then we can recruit him and make a deal because then we can know we can, we're investing in 12 month scale. So if we lose money in the first eight months and we have this growth momentum in the last four months, we're looking at it as an investment because if people are going to buy Microsoft stock or buy a rental income property, treat your business with the same exact investment strategy, except it's yours. You can have infinite control. You can have infinite amount of people, infinite an amount of sales with real estate you're stuck you have that one property with which can go up it can go down but generally speaking it will go up right it's legacy you're selling it for you're doing it for your children or some sort of cash flow in the future same thing with stocks you have no control whatsoever so i look at it from our business from our hiring methodology is just if we invest let's say let's just make up a number let's just say for number sake fifty thousand dollars for this person doing media buying it's a totally different position our job is to say okay this person's going to need a ten thousand dollar budget every single month so there's 120 grand so now we have one hundred seventy thousand dollars in. Then we're going to have to have a couple salary people to do setters. So we have to do that math. So now let's say we're 200 grand in just to hire a $50,000 media buyer. And if they're running it for just us, not for clients, I get that there's outside clients. Now we have to have a return on investment above that 200,000. Let's say it gets to 300,000. Then we have salaries that we have to pay out, commissions we have to pay out. There's very little. So we just have to do that math of what makes sense and what are we happy with? Are we happy with a margin? Are we happy with double? So Mm -hmm. typically for a dollar in, we want $2 out and that's going to be a home run. Now I know Grant Cardone and all these fancy people have this 10 X strategy. You'll get there at some point. It's not going to be your goal right now. Your goal is to make profit 
And then ultimately you will get there where you have that trajectory growth momentum. Once you get your rhythm, you pivot, you increase your prices, you get better people. It'll all take care of itself in the future. One of the key advices I have for everybody is that all of a sudden everybody's in a fucking rush in this world. Like reels are 60 seconds, then they went to 30 seconds, then you have stories for 15 seconds. So these social platforms are increasing your impatience by having shorter and shorter forms of content, therefore creating a lot more stress on watching and consuming more content and staying on these platforms, right? So my suggestion to any business owner out there is lengthen your expectation on yourself lengthen the expectation. So if you think you want to hit hundred grand in three months, push it to a fucking year because nobody will go from zero to hero in three months unless you get super, super lucky. There's an exceptional people out there. They get lucky or they have network. But for the most part is the longer you actually think, the more patient you'll be able to get there and actually get there. Because I know like with me, if I hired a new setter, I'm thinking by week number or day number eight, they should be rocking it. The reality is they're going to take 30 fucking days minimum 30 days if they have experience no experience maybe a little bit longer so then you're betting on potential mm -hmm. so it's just extend your time horizon you'll get there much faster shorten your time horizon you'll be switching a lot more and you won't get there you'll have that constant revolution of new offers bad market it just becomes excuse city like you'll be making more excuses that nobody wants to hear i'm so glad you said that i think a lot of people have that misconception and i always blame the internet for it because it'll make you think oh if you just get one viral reel then you know everything's going to change your business or <laughs> you see all these people that have yeah. these huge promises but they've had either some leverage in the background that they didn't tell you about or their overnight success actually took them five years to figure that shit out, but they're just not going to tell you that. And then everybody is trying to like say that they can do it faster. One of the things I love about what you're talking about is you're talking about vision. Like when you're hiring people, it's an investment for the long term. It's not just, I'm going to hire you today and we're going to make money off of you tomorrow. That's a very corporate-y kind of experience. It's one of the reasons why I left corporate because mm -hmm. I it was so exploitative of people without giving anything in return. And I just really didn't like that at all. So you've created an organization where you've got people that stay with you long term because they like the culture. So what are some of the things that you've incorporated into the culture of Get Shit Done or your other organizations and businesses? that keep people wanting to be a part of your team? It's results-oriented first and foremost, and the company is bigger than the individual, but the individuals make up company. So it's like we're doing things individually to meet an expectation of personal significance, but at the end of the day, we're doing this for a company goal. So once people are like clear on what are we trying to accomplish, what's our company goal? And if we get that company goal, how are we going to celebrate together? So it's like when you're playing sports, you win a championship, you get significance, you win something, right? So we just have to take that same model into our own business. And sometimes you have to have those micro wins, like in a week, if whoever gets X done, X accomplished, whether it's the media buyer, whether it's the secretary, whether it's the sales or the setting team, for a lot of you guys that have smaller businesses, even like ourselves, like setting and sales is literally our most important two positions. They get a lot of the glory. They also get a lot of the shit that rolls downhill because it's an emotional position, right? You're in activity all day. So it's just having a reward system so people feel appreciated because I remember like when my friend ran a huge credit card processing company, he had a partner channel where he'd buy and acquire customers and have all these guys bring in thousands of customers a month or a year to his company. And I became friends with a lot of the partners. And one of the things they said is, look, it's not even about the money. 
We just want to feel appreciated. Can you have him just give me a call, even if it's for two minutes? And I was like, huh, that's so interesting that through life, everybody wants that significance. They want a pat on the back, just like parenting a child. They want to feel like their parents are proud of them. So same thing comes in adulthood. People want that significance. They strive for that significance. If they don't feel significant, they don't feel confident. And then they start hiding behind something. Some sort of wall appears. So significance is important. You got to give people compliments publicly and you got to punish them a little privately. And that's really the, the way it works. And if you do something outrageous in front of the whole entire team, you have to do that strategically. Um, yeah. Sometimes it's important to make hard decisions publicly. So we just do our best to make sure if people feel appreciated, they're empowered, they have a goal. And number one is I don't give a shit if anybody leaves. That's mm-hmm. first and foremost. Do I actually care if somebody just left right now? Yeah, it would suck. But do I care, care? Meaning like, I don't own you. You don't own me. If you wanted to go somewhere else, who am I to say and stop you from your own dreams? So everybody knows that. My job is to get you where you want to go. And if it means growing our company, I'll get you there. If it means I want to start an agency and compete against you, I'll teach you through the GSD, how we coach other agencies, how to be my fucking competitor. So I don't care. I just care about what your why and your goal is. And then I'll help you get there. Back in my, this goes back to a long time. Like my, one of my best friends in soccer, when we grew up, we were fucking competitive as shit. And this son of a bitch out of nowhere just leaves to like a super team that just recruited people from all over the place. And we were so prideful that we're the local team that does not recruit outside and will still fuck people up. This guy goes to a super team and he was our best player, our captain, our rock, our star, my best friend even. And dude leaves. All of a sudden we got all got better. Because we were so dependent on his skill that we didn't need certain skills because of this person. He always saved us in very important situations. He was the most important player. But then it allowed everybody to rise up. So like in football, Tom Brady took over and that kind of coined the next man up. And that's what it is. If somebody so happens to leave and blindsides us, we just have to do next man up mentality and just be prepared. I also operate under the assumption that I don't know in anybody's life. If they want to go somewhere else, that's up to them. I'll just do my best to keep them if I want to keep them. And I'll do my best to support them if I want them to also go on. Yeah. Well, I mean, you subscribe to the whole thing of that you don't own people. But one of the things that I also hear and see is that you so into people, you know, as well. And I know that's something that we want to, that we do in our company is that we make sure that what are you interested in and how do you want to grow? Like, how mm-hmm. can we help create opportunities to do that as well? Because that was one of the things that I hated in corporate America. They keep you in a little box mm-hmm. and they never really so into you. And I've always wanted to change it. I think you guys model that just in terms of how you so into people in the culture that you've created. So one of the questions that I've been asking folks that we, we interview is, you know, what does it mean for you? You to be a liberated CEO? Like in your terms, what does that look like? And what is that for you? Mine is, I guess, being like, what makes me happy is when I teach somebody how to do something and they can actually go perform it at a high caliber. And then they think what they're doing now, they made up themselves probably makes me the happiest. I see a lot of people like giving me advice, like, oh, you should do this. I'm like, oh man, I'm smiling because I told you that like a year ago. They finally (laughs) landed. So that that probably makes me the happiest. The second part is when I'm gone and I'm unavailable, that kind of gives me the biggest anxiety. If I'm at a conference or I'm in like a family trip where unexpectedly there's just no reception and I can't get on the internet and I'm Mm -hmm. like, fuck, 
this is unexpected. And then I come back in a panic after a day or two, like what happened? And then everything went perfectly fine. That's when I'm like, I don't even need to be the CEO. I'm just trying to get off the freaking organizational chart. So nobody ever calls me and somebody else takes over for anything that rolls downhill. So that's like my goal is to basically be off our an organizational chart because I've always got my hands super, super dirty. Whenever I bought a company, I'm like, all right, let me fix this. Let me fix this. Let me fix this. And this doesn't get fixed. I'm wrapped involved. And then sometimes it works. Sometimes it loses money. But now I'm more of the significance of if I buy a business or if I invest into a business, I'm going to have nothing to do with its growth other than just support them when they need it. I just want to be fully off the organizational chart. And that's my goal for this company to the GSD2 at some point. It's just that since it's so close to me, since it's the baby, it's the child, I started it from the infancy to the beginning to where it is today. That makes it a lot harder to say, hey, you're 18 years old, get out of the house, son or daughter. You know what I mean? It's like one of those things where it's just, you'll always be emotionally attached to your own business and you just do your best to empower other people. So you slowly have less time involved in the business, but a very close pulse of the results of the people in it. Yeah. Well, and I'm glad that I got in when you were still a part of it because you have left a huge impact on a lot of people and you and Cody do a great job. Like I said, this, I've been in a few programs, a few high ticket programs and all that kind of stuff. And by far the level of support that you guys offer and the level of knowledge and expertise that you guys deliver in the program, not just with you, but with the other coaches and people that you've got on the team is by far one of the best best programs out there for people who wanted to build an agency. So I appreciate that I've gotten to learn from you. And I appreciate this conversation. It's been great. Yeah, no, I appreciate you even just saying that because at the end of the day, I'm sure in the back of our minds, Cody and I probably have this thinking we're like, we're way better than everybody else. We're been around. We already know the shit. But also in the forefront of our mind is we're always curious. So we're always not always aware of, are we good? Are we bad? We don't have a good, bad thing. We just always want to get better at something. So like, I appreciate those comments because we're just always coming out the box. Like, how can we help the students more? Is it another call? Is that the solution? Is it more accountability? Is that the solution? So we're always looking for like, how do we get our information to land and get people to take action faster than they ever thought was imaginable, but believe in the process because a lot of it has to do with self-intimidation. When people join a program, it's like, finally, shit's fucking reals. Finally, you're going to be accountable. Finally, I can't just go watch fucking Netflix and say that was a long day at work. Now we're going to actually make some motherfucking money. And that's like our favorite part is like, based on the customer journey, we just understand, do you suck at sales and you have no money? Then we'll get you okay at sales. We'll make a dope ass offer. So it's easier to sell. If you're really good at sales and that's not your issue and you have bottlenecks and SOPs, then we solve for that. So we just try to do our best to differentiate by customizing what other people may think is is like a box program into a very intimate customized solution. Yeah. Do you have any final words, like final thoughts that you want to share with our audience who aspire to be liberated CEOs? Not to sound corny or anything, but stay the course. Changing and the grass being greener on the other side is not always there. I think the number one thing is just get somebody that's where you want to be talk to them, interview them, pay them, take them to lunch, get clear on yourself, get clear on your own vision first, because I see too many people failing because they're changing too much. So it's like, oh, the price is too high. Oh, the offer is not good enough. Let me pivot it. The industry sucks because they don't buy. That's not really always the case because then you can switch and have those same issues. I think the key thing is just getting super, super clear on what you want to do and really wrapping your business around the life you want to live versus build a business and compare it to what 
other people have done because you'll kill yourself in comparison. Just do it for yourself. Don't do it for your fucking parents. That might be the chip on your shoulder. I want to prove them wrong. Perfectly fine. But at the end of the day, they're going to die and you're going to be alive. So do everything for yourself because that's the most important thing. So be selfish at first. You can take care of others. Love it. Love it. Thanks so much, everybody. We'll be back next week with another brilliant conversation. Until next time, you already know, be brilliant, be bankable and show up like an absolute boss in your business. Bye, folks. Thanks for hanging out with us for today's episode. Check the show notes at tygoodwin.com for links and resources. And be sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. And if you found value in this episode, please leave us a rating. Until next time, be brilliant, be bankable, and show up like a boss in your life and your business.